to you, listener, and welcome to this new podcast from Probe Ministries. My name is Paul Rutherford, and I'm going to be your host today. I am Research Associate with Probe Ministries. We are a ministry to equip believers to think biblically about every area of life, and sometimes we call ourselves Probe for Answers. We love to connect ancient eternal biblical truth with today's agonizing questions. Today, we're going to have a, a great conversation about revelation, general revelation. What is it? Why does it matter? We answer lots of other different types of issues and questions at our website, which I invite you to go check out, probe.org. That's P-R-O-B-E dot O-R-G. going to be having a conversation with my esteemed co-worker and a colleague that I am, I am blessed that I get to call him a colleague. Talking today with uh, Dr. Michael Gleghorn. Michael, glad you're here. Glad to be here. Yeah. You know, why don't you give us a just a real brief bio on who you are and your background with, why are you coming and talking to me about general revelation? Well, my name is Michael Gleghorn, and I've been with Probe for almost 20 years now. Wow. Two decades, huh? Yeah. Good for yeah, you. Coming up on that. Yeah. And I guess as far as my educational background, I did a master's degree in theology and a PhD in theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. Whoa, whoa. Okay. And so, yeah, so that would give you my educational background. And so I've got experience both here at Probe working in Christian worldview and apologetics and then uh, formal education at the doctoral level in systematic and historical theology. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure today's going to be just drawing on your wealth of, of your background in education and knowledge, and that's, uh, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I am too. So why don't we start off by simply defining what it is we're talking about? What What is general revelation? What's revelation? Yeah, that's the best place to start is to to try to get a handle on what revelation is just in general. It's often said that revelation, just the term itself, means an unveiling or a disclosure or making something known. And when we think about this just in human terms... Um, we realize that we're already familiar with this concept. Uh, for instance, if I reveal something to you about myself, you know, I make something known to you about myself. I might tell you that I'm married and have two children, and I can make myself known to people both verbally and non-verbally. So I can either tell you that information, or I also wear a wedding ring. And you might look over without me saying anything and see that I'm wearing a wedding ring and suspect mm -hmm. that, hey, yeah. this guy looks like he's probably married, even though I might not have told you that. Yes. And so all of these are forms of revelation in which I'm revealing something to you about myself, whether verbally or non-verbally. Now, then when we think about it in terms of theology, we're thinking about God making himself known. Mm. And so revelation in that fundamental sense is just God revealing something or making something known or telling us something about himself. And that can be done both with words or non-verbally. Okay. So an unveiling, a revealing, a disclosing of information, um, sharing something that wasn't wasn't known otherwise before. Yes. Is pretty much what I hear you saying. Yes. Just a, as, a, as a general idea, yeah. as a general term. Yep. Okay. So what types of revelation do theologians distinguish between? The two main kinds are general revelation, which we're going to talk about today, and then right. what's called special revelation. And so general revelation has to do with the way in which God has made himself known through such things as creation, the universe in which we live, through providence and history, uh, the way that God has worked historically in the past and made himself known through history in that way providentially, and then also through conscience, 
Um, those would be the main ways in which God has made himself known through what's called general revelation. And then we distinguish that from special revelation, which is God making himself known through such things in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as dreams or visions, for instance, or different appearances of God throughout history, which are sometimes called theophanies, which basically mm -hmm. just is a fancy word, which means a manifestation or an appearance of God. And then the most fundamental and most important ways in which God has revealed himself uh, through special revelation are both in the incarnation in which God the Son becomes a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, and then also through scripture. Those would be the most important ways in which he's revealed himself in this special sense. Okay, so it sounds like there's something to these words that are describing the two types of revelation, general and special revelation, where general is literally general. It's revelation that is given to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. You are not special, to use the other word, by exclusion. Nothing special about you. You can look at history. You can look at providence. You can look at your conscience in terms of your human conscience, and you can see these things being revealed to you. Whereas when you talk about special revelation by distinction, being scripture or theophany or dreams, those are things that are given to particular persons at a particular time. So it's, it's, it was special in the sense of whatever was unveiled or revealed to you was specially revealed to that particular individual rather than the whole of humanity. That's exactly right. Yeah, with general revelation, it's oftentimes considered to be general in two senses. Um, it's general in the sense that it's generally available to all people at all times in all places. Um, and then it's also general in the sense that the kind of information which is revealed is not as specific as what's revealed through special revelation. The, the revelation that's revealed, what's made known, is more general. So what God has made known about himself through creation and conscience and history and providence is knowledge and information that's more general than what is found in special revelation, which goes into a great deal more detail. I gotcha. So it's not just to whom it is revealed and by distinction, but also what is revealed, the content. Yes. It's both. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Great. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Is there any support for this idea of general revelation? I mean, that sounds kind of non-biblical by definition, right? Uh, <laughs> it, it, is, it is kind of ironic in a sense that uh, we should look to special revelation to see you know, what it has to say about general revelation. Uh -huh. But in fact, there are some very important passages okay. in the Bible that actually give us biblical support for this concept of general revelation. And so just to mention a couple that pertain to creation, um, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, uh, 1 through 4a, I guess I should say, uh, says this. It says, the heavens which is, of course, referring to something that God has created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But now notice then how it goes on. It says, They have no speech. They use no words. This is a nonverbal communication, that is. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So basically telling us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And even though it's not doing this in a verbal way, 
through words, nonetheless, that the heavens are revealing God as their creator. Mm. Um, Romans 1 in the New Testament, verses 18 through 23, we read this. Actually, I'll just read for the moment. I'll just read verses 18 through 20. And it says this. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so there we can see that verse 20 in particular is quite important for the doctrine of general revelation because it tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse, so that God has revealed himself in and through creation and made himself known through what he has made. So those would be a couple of passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, that speak to the issue of God revealing himself through creation. Okay. If we go on to consider God's revelation of himself through history and providence, mm-hmm. um, an example that's often cited is from Acts chapter 14, which is in the New Testament. And here kind of the background is that Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. Um, he's just healed a man who had the faith to be healed who was born lame and so had never walked. And he heals this person and the people are just like, whoa, you know, a great miracle has happened among us. Impressed, yeah. And they are royally impressed. And so they want to offer sacrifice. These are, okay. you know, Gentile pagans. Okay. They want to offer sacrifice in honor of this great miracle that they've just witnessed. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, Paul and Barnabas, at first they don't know what's going on, but then they understand what's about to happen. And it says this beginning in verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news and telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. And here's the really important point. He has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So kind of the key verse there is verse 17, where it says that God has not left himself without testimony or has not left himself without witness because he's shown kindness to people by giving them rain from heaven and crops in their seasons and satisfying their hearts with food and gladness. And so in that way, God has made himself known kind of mm-hmm. providentially through history in providing yeah, providing for people's needs in this way. Okay, so there it sounds like scripture's recording uh, an instance in history where non-believers witnessed a miracle and responded with, in a way that was religious, that was basically deifying uh, these folks who, who performed it. And so there was there was this witness in this general witness to the existence of God based on what they saw. 
And what I hear you saying is by reading this passage of scripture, this is a historical example of non-believers witnessing the power of God basically before them. Yeah, and I guess I guess here it would be important to distinguish that the the miracle that they've witnessed is not what we mean by general revelation, but the when we're talking about general revelation here, thinking about this in terms of God's revelation of himself in history and particularly just okay. providentially providing for the needs yes. of his creatures. Um, verse 17 is the key verse by telling us that he's not left himself without testimony or witness and that he's shown kindness by providing rain from heaven and crops and satisfying people's hearts with food and gladness. And so it's it's part of this historical process in which God is providing for people's needs that he's made himself known kind of in this general way through uh, history and providence. Got it. It's not just about the miracle itself. Then it, it is about the historical process of God's provision and witnessing. That, yes. Witnessing His power through that. Yes. Got it. Yeah. When we're speaking to general revelation here. Okay. Um, and then a final example of general revelation would be God's revelation of Himself through the human person, so to speak. And you know, we're created in God's image and likeness, and so it's not surprising that God is revealed in us mm. um, mm-hmm. because we too are part of His creation. And in particular, the conscience has often been signaled out as a way in which God has made himself known. And so here the key passage would be in Romans 2, uh, particularly verses 14 and 15. But just to provide a little context, I'll read the verses that immediately precede that. And Paul is writing this, and he says in beginning verse 12 of chapter 2, he says, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. He's referring there to the law of Moses. In all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And then he makes this parenthetical comment. He says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, they they aren't part of Israel, they weren't recipients of the law of Moses. And he says, When these Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law of Moses. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. And so here Paul seems to be saying that uh, God has made himself known through the human conscience, that all men, just by virtue of being created in the image and likeness of God, even if they haven't received special revelation like Israel had with the revelation of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai to mm-hmm. the people of Israel, nonetheless, just by virtue of being created in the image and likeness of God, all people have kind of an intuitive knowledge of God's mm. moral standards. Mm-hmm. Now, then we immediately need to say that this knowledge has been darkened and has mm. been made less clear because of sin. The fall. Yes, because yeah. of the fall of man. But nonetheless, it hasn't been completely eradicated, I right. guess. It's... Not destroyed, just darkened, as you say. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what I hear you saying is, when I ask you if there's if there's a biblical case, precedent, or support for this idea of general revelation that we're talking about, it sounds like there's a very strong case. <laughs> sounds sounds like it's really all over Scripture. If it's in the Psalms, if it's in the Old Testament, if it's in the New Testament, um, this idea is really 
saturated in, in through scripture. Yeah, to me, I think it's it's definitely a biblical notion that God has made himself known through the things that he's made, um, us included, creation, the heavens and the earth, as well as just, you know, his providential work throughout history. Yeah, great. So for you who are listening and want to increase your knowledge about the word and thinking biblically, having a biblical worldview, we were talking about general revelation. We've defined it. We've talked about it. We've asked the question, is it a biblical idea? And now we're going to launch into, Michael, I think an area of real specialty for you, right? We're going to, if, you, if you're a theology nerd, put on your glasses because here it comes. <laughs> and if you're not, it's all right. Stay with us because I think this, this is going to be really good for you. This is going to sharpen and challenge you. So let's let's get into some of the theological positions here about general revelation. Michael, what what are the different positions concerning general revelation? Well, there's a spectrum of positions, as you might expect. Yep, I would. Um, you've got everything from, and in here I don't know uh, precisely what the truth is about where the uh, great 20th century neo-Orthodox theologian Karl Barth actually landed on this issue. Okay. I have read in some secondary sources that Barth completely rejected general revelation, that huh. he, he didn't believe that God had revealed himself in this way. But then I've read others who have said, no, what, what Bart actually rejected was what's called natural theology, which is something we'll come back and talk about a little bit later in the program, uh-huh. that he didn't reject general revelation per se, but that he rejected natural theology. So it could be that on one extreme, you've got some theologians who have just completely denied that God has revealed himself in creation and okay. conscience and so forth. That would be on one end of the spectrum. Yeah, on one end, there's denial. Karl Barth may or may not have denied general revelation, but he also may have. And that yeah. kind of represents one one side of the theological positions on this. Okay. Yeah. I'm and then you. kind of on the far end, on the opposite extreme, you might have people that would think that general revelation is completely sufficient for people to come to know God in a salvific mm. way, you mm-hmm. know, to, that people can be saved rather easily. Um, just by coming to know God through general revelation alone. And we'll come back and we'll talk about that a bit later, too. Um, among evangelicals, the the major positions would be more in the middle okay. uh, between those two extremes. And yep. so you would have some that would say that, yes, God has made himself known through general revelation, that he's revealed himself in creation and conscience and such. And yet, because of the entrance of sin into the world at the time of the fall of Adam and Eve, that man's, all of man's faculties and powers have been negatively affected by sin, including our minds. And our minds have been darkened because of sin. And so even though God has revealed himself in creation and conscience, there would be some that would say that that revelation isn't really accessible to mm. man in his natural, unregenerate state, that okay. he just doesn't have eyes to see, okay. so to speak, Faculty that revelation. Un- unable to receive that revelation. Yes, in exactly. That sense, that's what they mean. Yes, so yeah. the revelation is there, but it's just not accessible because of the, the darkening effects of sin on the minds of human beings prior to regeneration, prior to the new birth, prior to coming to know God personally through faith in Christ. Got it. Others would say, and here's where I would tend to line up myself. Yeah, where do you land in here? Yeah, I would tend to land more with the second view, that, that God has made himself known through general revelation, and that this revelation, while certainly not as clear to us as it would have been to Adam and Eve prior to the fall, 
because sin certainly has darkened our minds and it's made this revelation less accessible to us. Um, nevertheless, that the revelation is still accessible to some degree, that we, we genuinely can come to know something about God through creation and conscience. Um, it's not as clear as it would have been to Adam and Eve prior to the fall, say, but nonetheless, we can still come to know something about God uh, through general revelation. And this, I think, it, it, to me, it seems clear, you know, from what Paul says in Romans 1.20. And just to read this again, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And then he continues in verse 21 and says, For although they knew God, and here he's referring to unregenerate humanity, not to yeah. born-again believers. He okay. says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. And so it, it seems to be saying that although they had some knowledge of God that was available to them through the things that God had made, they rejected that knowledge. Mm. Um, it was there, yeah. and even even in light of sin, they still had some access to it, but they rejected it also mm -hmm. because of their sinfulness. Mm -hmm. But they willfully rejected this knowledge, and hence God's wrath now is kindled against them because yes. they've willfully rejected the knowledge of Rebellion. God that was available yeah. to them through creation. Uh -huh. That's kind of the way that I interpret what Paul is saying there. So I, I would tend to view God as having made himself known to some degree through general revelation and that all human beings have access to this, even though it's limited because of sin. Yeah. Uh, great. So it sounds to me like when you contrast the, the positions are on one end of the spectrum or the other in terms of revelation, what does it reveal and how much? Is it even possible? You know, no, say some theologians, and some say uh, yes and and a lot. I, I see you having sympathy for both. On the one hand, you know, no, in, in the sense that the fall has darkened our capacity and our faculties and our ability to receive the revelation that's there. At the same time, uh, sympathy with the fact that what is revealed is sufficient for some, even citing just Romans 1 that you did there. Some of God's uh, characteristics are are visible and it, the scriptures there in Romans seem to even make that case and say that pretty plainly like this is what's revealed so it sounds to me like you're pretty sympathetic on both ends I can see how you would kind of put yourself in a middling position there yeah yeah I definitely would land in the middle because um, unlike any theologians that might deny general revelation just completely I do think that God has revealed himself through creation and conscience and made himself known in this general way um, so I would affirm general revelation and yet recognize that what it communicates to us about God is very limited. It's only general information. Um, you're not going to come to know that God is triune through general revelation alone or okay. that Jesus is God the Son incarnate okay. through general revelation yeah. alone or that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You could learn from history that Jesus died on the cross, right? But you wouldn't know that He died on the cross for our sins mm, just okay. from general revelation alone, right? Uh, nor would you know that God has provided salvation by His grace through faith in Christ um, just from general revelation alone. For that sort of knowledge, you need special revelation. But you could come to know that God exists, that He is eternal and powerful, because 
He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's brought into existence everything that we see around us in the natural world. So you could come to know that he's very powerful, if Mm -hmm. not omnipotent. And you could also come to realize on the basis of conscience that God is the moral lawgiver, that he's the you know, the, the moral standard for yes. um, providing a, a standard for our judgments of what's good and evil and right and wrong, and that we're ultimately morally accountable to him for how we live our lives. So mm. there are things I think that we can come to know about God through general revelation, but it's very limited compared to what one can come to know through special revelation. Got it. Yeah. So then there are certain things that are revealed through general revelation and certain things that are not. Yes. And that do require special revelation. That's what I hear you saying. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay, so earlier you talked about natural theology. Can you do you mind defining that for us? What 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 is natural theology and how does that interplay here with revelation, general revelation? Yeah, that's a great question. Natural theology basically has to do with it's it's a project both in theology and philosophy in which um, people are concerned to try to see how far they can get in their thinking about things like the existence of God and even to some degree the attributes of God by reflecting only on general revelation. So without the aid of special revelation, what can we come to know about God through general revelation alone and by thinking philosophically and, and theologically about these, uh, you know, how God has revealed himself in general revelation? Um, So, for instance, this would include all the different arguments for God that are often advanced, whether it be different forms of the cosmological argument or teleological or design arguments or the ontological argument or moral arguments for God. Uh, These would all be arguments that are offered for the existence of God that are part of the project of natural theology. Okay, so it sounds like when it... So first off, one at a time, because I think I have two questions here. And one is... The first question I asked you was, what is natural theology? And what I heard you say was basically trying to do theology in a natural sense, in the sense in which if we take special revelation off the shelf and only look at general revelation, how much theology or the study of God can we do? How much can we learn about God, his nature, his character, just from the creation, from history, from conscience, like you said, general revelation? Yeah, and that's that's kind of the terminology that I'm using is is because it would involve reflecting on general revelation. Um, sometimes the way that it will get defined is, you know, what we can know about the existence and nature of God apart from revelation. But of course, if God has made himself known through creation and conscience and everything around us in the natural world ultimately owes its existence to God, then when you think about it, it's like there's not really much that we can reflect on that isn't revelation <laughs> in one form or another. You know, so that, yeah. that yeah, really what, what that really what we're saying, you know, is is not that we're reflecting upon, you know, about the existence and nature of God apart from revelation, but really it's apart from special revelation. Because if if general revelation is a reality, if God has revealed himself through creation and conscience and to some degree history and providence, then there's not a whole lot to reflect upon that's not in some sense revelation. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Okay, so then... So that would be how it ties in with the discussion of general revelation. I see. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If that's what natural theology is, then it sounds like there's a ton of crossover. In some sense, that's that's a lot of what it's of what it's doing in some senses and i know that's one that one distinction i think you just made was not necessarily distinguishing uh from general revelation and saying apart from special revelation but natural theology is a project to understand 
attributes of God, um, given the witness of creation itself. Yeah, yeah. So like all the arguments for God, so it, it would have to do with both the existence as well as to some degree the attributes of God. But so all the arguments, you know, that theologians and philosophers have advanced for God, like, as yes. I mentioned previously, the cosmological and teleological and moral arguments and so forth would all be part of the project of natural theology. And you can see how, you know, with the cosmological argument, which argues for a personal creator of the universe, or the teleological yes. argument, which, you know, will argue for an intelligent designer of the cosmos, say, okay, mm -hmm. um, or the moral argument, which argues that God is ultimately the, the source for um, objective moral values and duties that we recognize, yeah. and that these would all be ways of arguing for God. And yet that falls perfectly, you know, under what theologians would call general revelation, because there you're hearkening both to creation and conscience to, mm. to some degree in both yeah. of those examples. Yeah, I see. That's great. This has been a really fantastic conversation so far and it brought up a lot of, of issues that I hadn't thought of and helped me think about passages of scripture in ways I hadn't thought of before. But at the same time, um, you know, I want to land this plane and, and let's yes. let, let's uh, for sure talk about something that's uh, how, how this applies. How is this relevant to our listener? Um, why does this matter to someone who believes in Jesus and maybe isn't a missionary or a pastor or... Well, one of the things Whatever. that's really one of the things that's really great about the fact that God has made Himself known, generally, through general revelation, and you know, qualifying that with you know by the fact that recognizing that, you know, the knowledge of God through general revelation is just general, and that it's hampered by our sinfulness and so forth. Nonetheless, having taken account of all that, one of the things that's really great about the fact that God has made Himself known in this way is that we can be confident that when we do share the gospel with somebody that hasn't heard the message of Christ, that there's at least a point of contact there, that at some level, God has made himself known to this person through the things that he's made, through creation, through conscience, that they have, even if they're trying their best to suppress it and reject that knowledge and so forth, that God has nonetheless made himself known. So it's not like this person doesn't have any context for understanding uh, the message of Christ, that God you know, sent his son to be the savior of the world. It's that they do have some context for understanding who God is as the creator of the universe, understanding their moral accountability to him, and even recognizing their moral failure mm -hmm. before him, which can then make the gospel very good news to yeah. those you know whom the Holy Spirit is working on to convict them of their sin and so forth, the gospel can then become very good news because recognizing that, hey, God does exist, I'm morally accountable to him, and I have failed to live up to his morally perfect standards. And hence, the message of the gospel that salvation is available by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from my works, can become very good news indeed. And so general revelation, I think, is very helpful in providing just that point of contact, that there is nobody that we can go to, so to speak, that doesn't have some knowledge of God, mm. because God has made himself known through creation and conscience. Yeah. Okay, so what I hear you saying is for someone who is not one of those pastor, missionary, vocational worker in God's kingdom, regardless, because of general revelation, anyone you talk to, when, when you are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will have some context 
for that conversation. There will be some sense in which they're ready that the Lord has already revealed himself in some way to them already. Yeah, yeah. And so you would have in you know a situation in which the gospel is being shared, you would have not only that point of contact through general revelation, the fact that they already know something about God through the things that he's made and through their conscience and so forth. But then it's also important to remember that whenever we're sharing the gospel, that this isn't just a horizontal transaction of information and you know, mm-hmm. sharing information with yep. you. I mean, that's happening. And yet at the same time, there's also that vertical dimension in which the Holy Spirit is also at work to convict this person of yeah. sin and their need for Christ and to, you know, kind of prick that person's heart that, hey, this message of the gospel is really true and to testify to the truth of that message as we're sharing it. So you've got both, you know, God's revelation through general revelation as mm-hmm. well as the work of the Holy Spirit going on, you know, whenever the gospel is being shared. But general revelation does supply that point of contact and gives us confidence that, you know, that there isn't any place that we can go, even to places where the gospel's never been preached, where people don't have some knowledge of God. Mm-hmm even though they have maybe suppressed it and done their level-headed best to reject it because yeah. of sin, still they, there is some context for understanding who God is because God has made himself known through the things that he's made. Yeah, you know, and, and I think this is also an important witness for our listener. And I know that because general revelation is important witness to me as I experience God through his creation enlarges my view of him. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many times I experience the beauty of his creation and I'm just in awe and I'm in wonder uh, just taking notice and observing just the amazingness of his creation yeah. testifies to the amazingness of my creator yes. and so I think general revelation is important to our listener even for just for their own soul for the sake of their own soul for the sake of their own salvation in the wider sense of experiencing God in a proper and true way that you recognize wow he is so much bigger than I am and I am so small yes. I am so small and that's a very appropriate I would call that a salvation response in terms of appropriately um, responding and encountering creator. Yeah, it's certainly recognizing, you know, our own smallness and finitude, you know, with respect to God's greatness and, you know, the the infinity of his attributes, you know, the fact that he's eternal Mm -hmm. and omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent and recognizing his greatness and, and recognizing our smallness with respect to that. And, and not to, I don't know how, how to articulate this exactly, but, but not to dismiss the power of special revelation, but there is, a, there is a special experiential aspect to general revelation, right? When it comes to the creation itself bearing witness, as you mentioned in Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, there's, there's something powerful about um, a powerful dynamic to that experiential aspect that is different than special revelation. We've talked about it, but I'll, I'll say it. I think that is something that is accessible to all people, that they can recognize that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I guess one last qualification, um, just because this is important for the people, theologians will oftentimes make the point, and I think it's a very good and worthwhile point to make, that people's recognition of God's revelation of himself in creation and conscience and so forth will be vastly different depending on whether or not they're regenerate, whether or not they're a born-again believer. So for that person who does not know God in a saving way, I do think that they have, you know, God has revealed himself in creation and conscience, and they do have some Mm -hmm. access to that even in spite of their sin and their efforts to suppress it. 
but for the believer who has come to know God through faith in Christ and is born again and is regenerate, um, they can see all the clearer God's revelation of himself in creation. Mm. They're not concerned to deny it or yeah. suppress it. They, they are able to appreciate it and see the beauty and glory of God's revelation of himself in creation in ways that the unbeliever isn't, even though they still have some access to that revelation. Yeah, I see. Well, this has been a really fascinating and wonderful and interesting and encouraging and inspiring conversation Well, good. Uh, I... with you, uh, Michael. I've really enjoyed it. We've talked about general revelation. What is it? We've talked about the biblical case for it. Does it exist in the Bible? We've talked about uh, theological positions on it, how it crosses over with natural theology. We've talked about important questions, and it's something that has really um, encouraged me, and I, I hope has encouraged our listeners well. I do too. Thanks, Michael. Do you have any other closing final thoughts? I just am grateful to have been part of the program, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Michael. And thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.